Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's, and I write for EPL Index and TheBootRoom.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimNight88. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, um, football's back. <laughs> the Premier League finally back underway, and I say finally as if the World Cup didn't end just like three weeks ago, um, but very excited uh, to be back in Premier League action. We don't have to talk about transfers yet. Um, so let's just start off with match week one on the whole. Uh, which club surprised you guys the most this week? Um, I don't know. It's a difficult one. I think there's there's a few teams that got built up a little bit too prematurely um, that I think could probably still have good seasons, but I think it, 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 it showed that the, the Premier League is perhaps tough than they thought, and as Fulham and Wolves, they both maybe flattered to deceive based on their summer transfer business, and, and I think the last time I came on, I said sometimes a little bit too much can, can be written into transfer business, and it doesn't always you know come off straight away, and, it, and sometimes you know having a settled team does go a lot further, uh, and I think there's a lot of examples of that this weekend. I think Wolves struggled against 10-man Everton. I don't think they looked as fluid as people thought they would. Um, I'm sure they will improve, uh, and the play, I'm not saying that, that any of their signs have failed at all. I, I, I'm not saying that. I think they, they've done good business, but I think it's going to take them time to adjust and, and talk of a top Tough finish is perhaps a little bit too much at this stage. The same for Fulham. Uh, came up against an established Premier League team and you know had a lot of new players in there and, and fell to a home defeat. So it's it's difficult the Premier League and I think sometimes it's a little bit too much is is written into transfer business and what that can do. Um, I'm mean, another example of that. I know they're against Liverpool, but they weren't great, especially at the back. So I, th- I think those three teams, the three teams that were written up at the start of the season and. Um, didn't do too well on the opening weekend, but it is early days, and I'm sure they'll all go on and, and, and do better in future weeks. Uh, in terms of a team that did quite well, that that was a surprise. I guess Watford would probably be the one for me. I think, uh, yeah. uh, you know, they lost Richarlison, and, and, you know, they had a tough game against Brighton, who had done a, a lot of transfer business, and who I thought were going to have quite a good season. So that was quite a good home win. Um, you know, they talked about relegation, but, you know, they, they got the three points on the board, home win, and they always seem to start scenes quite well, whoever the manager is. So I think... You know, that was a little bit of a surprise that they won, but that was a, a really you know good victory for them. But I, I, I think it sort of went how people expected a lot of the matches. There weren't many surprises. I just think Fulham were probably the big one. A lot of people expected them to win. I thought a lot of you know betting accounts and things like that were talking about them as a, as a good pick at the odds they were at. And, you know, I think they were just invested a little bit too much in their transfer business. And, and Crystal Palace last year were probably one of the, probably the, the best team outside the top six. I know they didn't finish there, but in terms of expected goals and, and a lot of what they were producing on the pitch, they weren't getting the results they perhaps deserved. And I think they're going to go on and have a really, really good season this year. So 
I think that that showed in the opening weekend. So yeah, they're, they're sort of teams that, that caught my eye, but I don't think anything was that ridiculous on the opening weekend. Everyone sort of sort of went how I thought it would. Yeah, Jake's kind of taken the the thunder from the um, the surprising question because of the fact that, um, as he says, a lot of the promoted teams, well, the two, certainly two of the three promoted teams in Fulham and Wolves were expected to kind of really hit the ground running almost because they've done a lot of transfer business. Um, and as Jake rightly says, that's sometimes, you know, a, a bad sign if you have to do a lot of business late or, you know, you, you're transitioning from one season to the next and changing a whole lot of your starting eleven. Uh, I guess with West Ham as well, I think they made five new signings as part of their starting eleven today, uh, as we record today, uh, and were obviously thumped by Liverpool. I think the team that probably surprised me the most were Everton. Um, obviously, they were up against mm. one of the promoted teams in Wolves in the, the the late kickoff on Saturday, and I think a lot of, a lot of people expected Wolves to roll Everton over. Um, mostly down to the fact that I guess Everton hadn't got a lot of their newer players in the team and I think they probably reap the benefits of a little bit of consistency um, I, I'm just looking at the starting eleven now and apart from Richarlison obviously a, a much uh, derided uh, in some quarters transfer um, for, for 40 odd million or, or whatever the, the final figure was that they signed him for I think a, apart from him the other 10 players that started that match were there last season. So obviously he is the match difference, I guess, for, from uh, from Everton's point of view, got two goals and obviously man of the match display for me. But considering they were down to 10 men before half time, I thought Everton played really, really well. And it, a lot of times in the second half, certainly it didn't look like Everton were a man short. And obviously they went ahead and then were pegged back again uh, when Jimenez scored. But I thought they equipped themselves pretty well and, when you consider that uh, Marco Silva's raided the um, Barcelona bargain bin on, on deadline day um, and got a few <laughs> reinforcements in, obviously, in the Andre Gomez and Yerry Mina, um, you know, there's every chance that they could potentially build on that kind of consistency, I guess. And, and kind of, I'm, again, I, they would expect to be a top half team challenging for those kind of outside European places. But yeah, I, I was fairly surprised given how down a lot of people were on them, or maybe they were just very up on Wolves' chances. Um, but I thought given that they they were one of the games that we got the opportunity to watch a full 90 minutes of, I was relatively impressed really, um, given how solid they were. And obviously they, they bolstered the squad a little bit, new manager, new approach. And it'll be interesting to see how how they kind of take that forward into the next few weeks. Yeah, I think the transfer point is a very well-made one because Brighton, Fulham, Huddersfield, West Ham, and Wolverhampton were the clubs that did the most uh, signings. And if I'm remembering right, none of them won, um, which does... Oh, uh, Wolves drew. West Ham lost Huddersfield. Yeah, um, so uh, there's certainly something to that. A lot of those players haven't batted in yet. Again, Fulham and Wolves have to get used to the Premier League. Uh, but the the fact that Wolves have Jake, I've seen you tweet this before. The fact that Wolves have some Championship League, or sorry, Champions League players instead of Championship players in that squad uh, did kind of save them as Ruben Neves kind of kept them in it um, that whole match. Although Jim, I do agree that Everton looked better than I thought they would. Um, the stats all said that Richarlison was going to have a huge bounce back under Marco Silva. Uh, at Everton and then he sure did super early obviously time will tell if that maintains but obviously very promising signs from him there Um, but I I largely agree there weren't really any results that were too surprising Um, but I knew Cardiff weren't going to really offer much but uh, Bournemouth showed me a little bit I I had them in my like list of teams I was thinking could struggle to stay in the Premier League and uh, so compared to that they looked better I agree I think Watford had a pretty good 
uh, account of themselves as well. And I did see some people thinking that, you know, maybe Newcastle would be in a, a bad way this season. But th- as I'm sure Jake will mention later, um, there were certainly moments throughout that match where Newcastle were the better side than Tottenham. So uh, I-, I think promising things for them as well. But all in all, uh, pretty good reflection of, of where clubs are. Um, I-, I did like uh, what Crystal Palace did. <laughs> they very rarely win on the first week, as I was joking with Jim before the uh, recording started, and we'll try to get a, a segment in with Jay soon. But um, getting Zaha already on the score sheet was big, uh, and they really looked the better team against Fulham basically that entire match, start to finish. Um, Benteke still looks like he has problems. Again, statistically, he should bounce back in a big way this year, but the eye test does not confirm that currently. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But uh, Palace uh, w- with a pretty good win to start things off this year as well. Another team that had a very good start today, uh, Liverpool, with a 4-0 win against West Ham. They've now scored four goals in each of their last four matches against West Ham and won all of them, as you'd expect. Um, curious to hear your guys' takes on on them being legitimate title contenders this year. Um, yeah, I think I think they will be. I think it's going to be a lot closer than it was last year. Liverpool are probably the one team in the top the top six that, you know, improved their first 11 quite considerably with uh, Alisson coming in who's obviously a very very good goalkeeper you've got Cato who, who you know impressed today and was one of the people that um, you know the media were talking about after the game all the pundits were raving about uh, Cato and I think he's going to provide a lot to their midfield and then you've got Fabinho we've yet to see who I think is a really good defensive midfielder that will come in and add a lot to that midfield as well and, and obviously Shakiri, and you've got Storage coming back uh, to provide something from the bench so you know I think they've they've made really good improvements um, perhaps a centre-half light but you know you can't do all your business in one summer it's it's a slow build under Klopp and I think he's done it in a really really impressive way since he's gone into Liverpool and you know he's you know taken over Arsenal um, Manchester United Tottenham you know, in terms of challenging for trophies. So he's, you know, he's, he's really just taken over all of those teams since he's taken over Liverpool. You know, he, he probably took them over in sort of six six or seven sport, weren't they? So he's really built them up. And I think they, they are title contenders. Um, Salah got a goal today, which I think was important because it, it would have been very easy if he had gone two or three games without a goal at the start of the season for people to start doubting him. So I think that was important as well. And they just looked really, really good against West Ham. I think 4-0 flattered West Ham a lot. So... They do look very scary, and I think West Ham are not going to be the last team to lose 4-0 to Liverpool at Anfield, and I think there's probably going to be a few worse beings than that. So in terms of that, I think they will be challenging for the title, but I just think City are just a more complete side still. Um, they're really good against Arsenal today. Um, they've still got a lot of players to come back in. De Bruyne didn't really feature heavily today, and you got um, Silver to come back in as well. It's... I think they're still the team to beat, but I think Liverpool are going to close that gap. And we saw last year in the games between the two teams that Liverpool can on their day go out and beat Manchester City. It's just about them not dropping silly points elsewhere because that's what City was so good at last year. They didn't really drop any points at all until it was too late for it to really matter. So I think Liverpool really need to make sure they just keep up the pace and then try and you know use those two games against City to, to make some ground. I think they will be up there and I think it's not going to be you know, runaway title win by by any stretch, but I I can't see any other team being up there. So I think it's going to be between Liverpool and Man City, and I think City still for me are favourites, but Liverpool definitely definitely could be could win it, and 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 they could really challenge City. And, and but it, it's difficult to tell at this stage. There's still still a long way to go. But yeah, those those are the two teams for me that that could win the Premier League this season. Yeah, it's it's difficult to read too much into one game. Um, Liverpool were scary good, as you said today. 
Um, and but West Ham were pretty poor. I thought they played right into Liverpool's hands. Um, they defended with a stupidly high line, which saw them um, kind of taken advantage of in a, an attacking sense pretty badly. Um, and Liverpool, in truth, could have had five, six, seven, maybe. They, you know, it's not like they missed glaring chances, but they got themselves into so many good opportunities. Um, and yes, it's obviously the. I think this season will have to be the culmination of what Klopp's trying to build there because he's had a lot of time. And yes, he's reached a couple of finals. Obviously, got them to two European finals in three years. Um, and he, as you know, he has impressed without the final end result. And I think this is the season where, considering, again, another £100 million plus transfer window now, some of that is kind of offset by the fact they sold Coutinho for £100 million to Barcelona in January. So a lot of that kind of summer spending will be taken in part from um, from the, the January window, I guess. So it's not like a huge, massive negative net spend like we've seen sometimes in, in the Premier League. But there's still probably best part of 400 million going into that side now when you, you build in some of the, the bigger players, obviously a world record for a goalkeeper um, in Allison, who is supposedly, you know, the world's best based on that uh, and is ahead of Edison, who has been very impressive for Manchester city on the international stage. Um, it, it, it kind of needs to be the year that they challenge. They can't really get away with not laying down a serious marker anymore because there's only so many seasons you can go really close without people starting to, um, you know, label you as as bottlers to some degree or kind of, you know, choke merchants when it comes to the finals. So I think they were, you know, they were unexpectedly in the Champions League final last year, which obviously would have been great if they'd have won it, and but nobody really expected them to. Whereas I think there's got to be a growing expectation around Anfield now, given what they've done and the the faith that the board and the money that the board have put behind Jurgen Klopp and his project. Now, in one sense, it's great to see a manager being afforded the time and the opportunity to build a squad because a lot of managers at a lot of top clubs would not have been given the amount of time that he has and the amount of money that he has consistently to build a squad to challenge without actually landing a trophy um, up until now. So, this is the yeah. This is the big season. It's the big kind of the grandstand finish, if you like, for for his project and Jake Wright in the sense that they're probably still a centre back short. But I'm not sure that's going to wash if they don't lay down a serious challenge to Manchester City this year. Um, they do look the most likely challengers, and in a sense that you know puts the pressure on them because we know what Manchester City can do. They broke pretty much every record on the way to the, the title last year, so it's it's hard to say that Liverpool have to challenge them in order to be a success. But, they, yeah, they do. Um, I think there's some regression maybe in Manchester City's um, performances this year compared to last year. I'm not sure they'll score 100 goals again. I'm not sure they'll get the 100 points or break the, you know, the records again for uh, title-winning distance or, or wins at home or, and every other record that they broke last year. So, yeah. Klopp needs to to put down a serious marker this year. Maybe the thing that will be the, the differentiator might be the Champions League campaigns. Obviously, Liverpool mm. not Manchester City out of Europe last year, and to some degree that kind of hampered their process in the final uh, their progress in the final few weeks of the season. Now they did finish fourth and they secured that on the last day of the season, I think, if I remember correctly. But were the roles to be reversed, you know, and, and, and one team goes out of the Champions League slightly earlier, obviously not a situation you want to be in, but 
Pep Guardiola was brought to Manchester City to win the Champions League. That's not something they've managed to do. They've won titles, domestic titles, under previous managers. So if the goal this year, yes, retain the Premier League trophy, you know, as a, as a foundation, but if the goal is to go all out for the Champions League this year, which you would imagine it would be, given, the, again, the amount of money that's been pumped into Manchester City and their expectation level... Um, if they're going all out for that and do take one eye off the Premier League, if Liverpool do suffer a, a relative shock exit or, you know, just get a really bad draw in the in the knockout stages and are, and are kind of freed up as of February time, when those matches take place in the early rounds of the knockouts, then we could see the situations reversed and it could be actually Manchester City that are really tested from a squad depth level to, to go really deep into two competitions with, you know, high top class opposition. Um, I'm already looking forward to Liverpool City though. I'm not sure when the first time they play is, but it's going to be one hell of a game. If you look at the the first weekend's um, kind of attacking exploits, it's just going to be like two boxes that are stood there slugging it out in the center of a ring, as opposed to any kind of tactical um, you know, really cat and mouse. I think they just they just seem to both have these styles of play, particularly um, you know with the high press that Manchester City employed against Arsenal and forced so many potential openings. It's it's going to be a brilliant watch this season. Yeah, that match uh, currently scheduled for October seventh on a Sunday. So book book yourselves accordingly. Yeah. Um, I agree with a, a lot of those points. Uh, and actually, we had Joshi on. Um, midweek on a segment he was also saying that surely Liverpool have to win something this year with the kind of investment that they've given Klopp how close he's gotten in the past Um, my big question is with all of that money spent uh, Dejan Lovren was still meant to be the starting center back today but then didn't because of injury Um, they did not ever get that Coutinho replacement like for like that people were expecting Fakir wasn't really that but he would have filled a similar-ish role for them Shakiri could end up doing it um, but it still feels like for all the money they've spent, there's still holes. As Jake said, this is not as strong a squad as cities. Their first 11 can be, um, obviously, as we saw last season, beating them in, in the Premier League uh, and in the Champions League, but th- there's still issues with the squad, and I totally agree with you, Jim. They do need to win something this year. I'm just not sure if they will. I, I do think, as you are both saying, they're... 1B really to City maybe clear 2 ahead of everybody else's like 3 through 6 in that quote unquote top 6 but I I think both of those things are true I think they do need to win something this year and I don't think that they're going to do it not through any lack of improvement as you said they've definitely gotten better Kaita did look really good today and just allowed them to just stay in the attacking half for almost the entirety of that match Um, but it's going to be very hard maybe one of the domestic cups is the easiest way to go. It's harder to go any further in the Champions League than they did last year. Um, but yeah, I do think Liverpool will be the closest to City. I do think City win it again. The only reason I don't think City will win it again is how rare it is for somebody to repeat in almost any sport. Um, but aside from that, I think they do look clear favorites, uh, even though, as Jim says, it is early to be saying such things. All right, and we will wrap up with the transfer window. It doesn't feel right to do on the first show of the season, but that's not my fault. That's the fact that they changed when the transfer deadline was. Um, so since it happened on Thursday, and this is the first time we've had a full show since, I figured we'd get into it. Which club do you think was the biggest winner and the biggest loser of the deadline day or transfer window on the whole? Yeah, it's a difficult one for winner. I think there's a lot of eye-catching moves being made. It's difficult not to say Fulham with the business they did. You know, they got... Um, they signed, you know, throughout the whole transfer window, they've got Mitrovic, they've got Seri, they've got 
Chambers, they've got Joe Bryan, they've you know, and, and the guy from Marseille, I think it's Angrisa, um, who's meant to be quite a quite mm-hmm. a good midfield talent, and Vieto on, on loan as well. And, and the two goalies they got, you know, he didn't make a statement the weekend, but Sergio Rico is a really good goalkeeper that I think is, is going to do well this season once he comes into the team. They did some really, really good business. It just felt a bit like overkill at the end. I feel like they brought too many people in, and I, you know, if they'd have only brought if they hadn't brought two or three of those players in, they probably still would have stayed up, and they would have, and it probably would have been a smoother transition. So, if you're judging based on the, the actual just transfers, I think they they you've got to consider them the biggest winner and what they did. But I just it's perhaps a little bit overkill. Um, the more interesting one is perhaps who didn't do too well in the transfer window, and and there's there's a few teams that stick out to mind. Three that have been discussed heavily in the media. Um, Tottenham are obviously one. I think they're the first team not to to sign a player since the transfer window began in the Premier League, which I thought, at least in the summer window, which I thought was an incredible stat. Um, but as we saw at the weekend, does it really affect them that much? They looked exactly the same they did last year, just efficient and, and just a lot better than most of the teams in the league. So I think they're still going to be fine because of it. But I can see why supporters are a little bit annoyed that they didn't build on it and perhaps try to do what Liverpool have done to go on to try and challenge City. Because Tottenham was certainly that third team that could have done that this summer. Mm. Uh, Manchester United are another one. They didn't, really do any eye-catching business it, it seems like they've they've cut off the funds to Mourinho and that seems to be only going one way and it would be a surprise if he's still managing next year uh they didn't look that good in their opening game and I think Jim will talk about it later that Leicester should have got something from that game so uh the defense especially which I think was the area Mourinho wanted to, to strengthen looked very poor so they they're one of the losers and and I've seen people say that Newcastle are because we didn't spend a lot of money and we've come out with a 20 million transfer um profit in that window so I mean, I think I think we've got a better squad than we did when we finished the season, but I don't think it's as good as it could have been. And the, the teams around us have made far bigger improvements, which is why we've seen some people doubting us as a uh, talking about us as a relegation candidate. So I've said it before. I don't think we're going to go down. I don't think we'll be that close to it either. But I think we've missed an opportunity, and and it's sort of just created a lot of distrust between the owner, the fans, and and the the manager, uh, which probably results in Benitez leaving at the end of the season. But, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I think one of them will leave. Probably not Mike Ashley, but we can hope. So, um, yeah, it was just a little bit frustrating because it's just another window where we just haven't shown any ambition to, to, to push on from from a 10th place finish, which we really should have been doing. So they're, they're the, the teams that are probably really disappointed. It's difficult to pick a winner, but, yeah, Fulham, they're, they're the ones that, you know, caught the eye. Say them. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why, if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. 
yeah, I suppose the proof's always going to be in the pudding for um, transfer business, and it's quite difficult to judge um, on paper after just one game, particularly because a lot of those new players might not have been quite up to speed um, because they're expecting a move and obviously probably haven't had a full pre-season, especially if they've come in from European teams that don't start their domestic seasons for um, a couple more weeks um, or, or off the back of a World Cup and all they've had is kind of three weeks off of holiday and then kind of expected to slot back into domestic football again. Uh, Jake's rightly covered a lot of the teams that have done uh, a lot of business, whether or not it's the best business or not, is difficult to know. I think Wolves were always going to catch the eye in the transfer window, given their um, relationship with uh, George Mendes, should we put it like that, um, and, and kind of how integral he is to Foson and the, and the club um, ownership structure. Um, they've done well, I think. Um, the question mark I would have is, um, you know, how many of that is just moving parts from last season and, and, you know, do they improve significantly enough to reach the heights that people are expecting them? Because they were clearly expected to be the best um, promoted team and by a significant margin as well. They, you know, they automatically come into this Premier League season, I think, with expectations um, around them of a top half finish being a minimum. Now, that's something that, for example, Leicester fans are probably going to be happy with this year. Do they have enough in their acquisitions to make that a reality? Because you'd think that six of those spots are already spoken for by the quote-unquote big six. And then there's quite a lot of, not mediocre teams, but quite a lot of well-matched teams, I'd say, um, in that next third that could potentially finish top half. And I don't know what, you know, I haven't looked in great detail, to be honest, but the, the expectation levels I gauge from, you know, what you see online and the, the transfer business that they've done is that they're really expecting to make a splash this year um, and failure to do so really even in some minds might be seen as a failure to, to get to reach those heights already which maybe isn't fair to the manager and and his set of players but I think certainly they're they're potentially one of the the winners from the window um given the, the you know the deals that they've done the the permanent deals of the likes of Willie Bolly um, who was a, a big part of their push last year? They've obviously got Jao Martino, which is an eye-catching signing. Um, you know, no doubt he's been linked to, to dozens of clubs in the past um, when he was doing his thing at, at Monaco, particularly in their heyday. Um, Leander Dendonk is an interesting one, um, and we'll have to see how a lot of these guys get on because you know it's how you integrate those into a squad um, that was already quite heavily reliant upon new arrivals and loan players um, from last season. I think the team for me, that haven't done a great amount and that I would really, really worry about um, is Southampton. I was pretty down on them last season um, and obviously they managed to avoid the drop, but I think the quality of the lower half of the league has probably increased this year. Cardiff aside, if we're talking about Fulham and Wolves being kind of mid-table contenders maybe not Fulham but certainly Wolves are expected to be there and I think Fulham are one of the stronger teams that we've seen promoted given the business that they've done um, in recent years I think it pulls teams like Southampton into the relegation mix a little bit more they didn't score a whole lot amount of goals last year that was always their problem and it was perfectly evident today um, a nil-nil draw with Burnley isn't a bad result in itself but I think it just speaks volumes about their lack of potency up front. And ultimately, that's going to come home to roost at some point, especially if the teams around you are getting better and you're kind of either stagnant or moving backwards. Um, they've done a few deals. 
They've got in like Stuart Armstrong, obviously from Celtic. Danny Ings is the big one, I guess, from Liverpool on a loan deal. Now, he's had so long out injured that I'm not sure you can necessarily rely on him to get you enough goals to to really kind of be assured of Premier League status. And I would just worry about them a little bit in terms of them continuously regressing um, season upon season. Um, obviously, they, they regularly used to get raided by Liverpool, which didn't help. But I haven't seen anything from them this summer that would convince me that they're not outside candidates for relegation, um, you know, alongside the, the more expected members to be struggling in the Premier League. Um, Cardiff, uh, Swansea, I guess, um, you know, sorry, Watford, potentially. Um, Newcastle, as Jake said, I don't think they're going to struggle uh, too badly I think they've probably got enough there it's always frustrating when you don't get players in um, and you expect the, the ownership to spend but yeah Southampton would be the one for me that I think have missed out probably um, on the opportunity to strengthen and could potentially pay the price for that when it comes to, to May time uh, based on how they performed certainly last year yeah all certainly uh, good shouts uh, for who won I think it's Liverpool, even though they're at the top. And, and while they did bring in uh, what seemed like a uh, large number of players, they really just brought in players that are going to slot into the first 11. Because um, I think it ended up just being four, if memory serves. Um, so I, I think they had a fantastic window. And as we talked about in an earlier portion of uh, news and notes, um, they, they were the only one of the big six that really strongly uh, strengthened themselves. Obviously, Mahrez to any of the other top six teams would have helped them. But for City, obviously, he starts today. But you have to wonder how much uh, impact he can really have in a team with so many superstars in it already. Um, so, yeah, I was very impressed by what Liverpool did, obviously. Um, the promoted sides did invest very heavily. Uh, how, when those teams will kind of really find their own remains to be seen. I mean, Fulham on the last day of the window were just basically throwing everything uh, at their squad to just see if it would stick. Um, I'm, I'm not really, really sure how that's going to work out. And I have been fairly critical of Chelsea uh, on Twitter over the past, um, hmm, since I supported Tottenham. Um, but more specifically, uh, this transfer window, which I, I will say here now, if any other club had signed Jorginho and Kovacic in the same window, that would be seen as a huge coup. The only reason why it's weird at Chelsea is because they've been buying so many central midfielders that now nobody's really sure where they're all meant to slot in. Jake, I know you were a huge fan of the Jorginho signing and thought he'd pair well with Conte. I still want to really see it in full action before, but obviously um, both of them scored, uh, which is not really the point of them, but both of them scored in their opening match against Huddersfield. Um, is, I, I want to give them the credit of bringing in two very talented players. There are obviously issues with the fact that Kovacic doesn't have an option to buy and they still have Loftus-Cheek in there. Where is he supposed to go? Barkley got the start, uh, obviously, but now Bakayoko has to go out on loan, who's very talented but did obviously struggle last year. Why they ever bought drink water, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know, but maybe Jim's just thankful that they gave uh, Lester that money. Um, but all in all, those two were very good signings for them. It was just weird on the whole. And then they did suffer at the back again with something that I've been accusing them uh, of since last summer window, which is they paid money to get worse at a position. They lose Courtois, and then they pay twice as much to bring in uh, Kepa Arithabalaga. We're just going to hope that's right. Um, but that that was very strange as well. But But again, the two central midfielder signings, very good players. Curious to see how it's meant to work there. Um, I think the clear loser 
uh, is my own club, Tottenham. Now, I will not say we had the worst deadline day because we easily could have just lumped out way too much money for a player that wasn't going to help us out that much like when we bought Sissoko from Newcastle. So I think we actually did well on deadline day to just stand pat. The issue was the previous two months when we didn't sign anybody with the window opening significantly earlier. I think it formally opened when in June or like late May. It was it was way early. It even caught me off guard. Um, so the fact that it ended three weeks early um, shouldn't have been a problem. Everybody knew that was going to happen. Like obviously this window is weird because the rest of Europe didn't follow this trend of closing their transfers um, before the season starts. But everybody knew that that situation was going to be when they agreed to it, when all the teams voted for it, and this ended up being the choice. So I, I don't really agree with a lot of the um, scapegoating of the FA for making this horrible decision. The clubs voted for it, knew about it, and then a lot of clubs didn't react in time to it, especially my own. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Liverpool winning it and Tottenham losing it, although those are both arbitrary distinctions. All right, now we're going to head uh, into round the table. Uh, very, very clever people here. Um, and uh, basically, we're just going to simplify this this week because it's the first week. Everybody wants to talk about their club, so we'll just each go through and talk about our most recent match. Um, Jake, we'll start off with you. Obviously, uh, we played each other, so I may sneak ahead of Jim in the order right after you to respond. But what did you make of Newcastle's match against Tottenham to start the season? Yeah, I thought I thought we played quite well. Um we only we didn't have any new signings in the team. We we played probably the the eleven we had for most of the second half of last season. Uh, with you know Dick and Kennedy both played, but you know they were there for the second half of last season. So I'm not sure I really can include them as new signings. But I thought we played well. Um, it was a little bit disappointing the way we went behind um, a set piece goal, which Benitez will probably be furious about because they're, they're just silly goals to concede, especially against the top six. Um, when we've got you know the, the coaching that we've got, we shouldn't really be conceding those. But it was a little bit fortuitous where you got the the first header and then the second. You know it all went very quickly and it's very difficult to defend once you win the first header and of course it looked like Dubravka made an incredible save at one point but it, it did go over the line so no complaints there uh, really good to get the goal back um, something that we, we haven't done really in, in years past it, we often let our heads go down and we you know fall down 3 or 4 nil. But that started to reverse on the Benitez last season. And, it, you know, you saw it again yesterday that, you know, we bounced back straight away with a quality ball by Matt Ritchie. Um, Hosselu has his critics, probably not the best Premier League striker, but he can do a job in a system. And, and you know, it's nice to see him get a goal. He's probably not going to play many games this season from the start, but he played very well yesterday. Uh, and, you know, later on in the game when he played that incredible ball to, to Kennedy, which, you know, we probably should have equalised at that point. Um, so... We had chances in the second half. We hit the bar and the post. You know, we had that Kennedy chance where I'm a, I'm amazed that he didn't didn't finish that. A player of his ability and in the form that he was in yesterday, it was just such an easy touch and, and a finish. But you know, those things happen. Uh, through Russia blood when he got through there. So yeah, it was it was it was a positive performance. I think we should have got something out of it. I think Kennedy played really really well. Um, I think he completed six dribbles in the game and at times he just round through the Tottenham midfield so easily that he's he's just so talented. He was really fouled roughly every two seconds. He was, wasn't he? He was just very, very good. Uh, just the way he runs with the ball. He, he doesn't look overly skillful, but he's just so strong and he's he's just he can just weave past people. And I think he's going to be crucial this season for us. I think he's going to he's probably going to. I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, get get upwards of 
of 12 goals and assists combined, probably a little bit more up to that, I think, if once he really gets settled and, and playing every week. Um, I think he's going to be really good for us this year. Um, but yeah, I thought we played well. I think there was there was a few points we need to improve. I think we were a little bit open at the back to start with. The second goal as well was was poor defending, poor marking at the back post. Um, good movement from Ali, but we, you know we should have perhaps defended that one better. And, and we were open a few other times, but that sort we sort of solved that once we got through the half hour mark. I think we really did tighten up and we didn't concede much at all after that. Uh, disappointing at the end with Yedlin going off. I think that looks like quite a serious injury. Uh, hopefully it's not, but it, it, if it is, we we don't have a great deal of cover and it's. <laughs> You know, we didn't go and get the fullback cover Rafa wanted on deadline day, and we got punished at the first possible opportunity, which is just typical Newcastle. But uh, yeah, that was disappointing. But you know, I'm positive on the whole. I think we will be fine this season once we get through the first six or seven games, which we've got a tough run of games. And once we get through those, I think we'll we'll climb that table and sort of, you know, get into mid table and stay there. I don't think we'll have too many problems uh, with Benitez. As manager, you know, we never we, we've we've improved from the start of last season. If you compare it to the game, the, the opening game against Tottenham last year, we, we, we're so much better than then. And I think we're just going to keep improving. We've got a young young squad. We've got a lot of um, players that have improved, like Shelby and um, Perez and Lascelles. They'll keep improving as well. So I think we'll have a good year. Uh, it was a good first day. Would have been very easy to go down three or four nil against Tottenham on the first day but we didn't do that and, and there's a lot of positives to take and hopefully we take them into Cardiff next week and get the win there because uh, that looks like a game we have to win bearing in mind what other games we've got coming up yeah you do have a bit of a slaughterhouse of an opening uh, salvo here in the Premier League um, I agree I think Newcastle did play uh, very well and I think they played more consistently well than Tottenham did in this match um, I just think it was one of those where at the end sometimes talent just kind of triumphs. I think uh, a lot of people are heaping praise on Deli Ali for, for having a fantastic match. And I think he did, but I think people are comparing him to what he was for England versus what he's been for us. Because this was not one of his best performances for us ever. He was just sharp again, the way he has been in previous years. Um, which was nice to see, but again, not like shocking. Um, but it was it was nice to see that. I think Hugo Lloris had a fantastic match for us. Um uh, I think it was Perez that got there to like Hugo's left and then cut across his body and Hugo and he somehow got down with his uh, palm to save it. Um, and then in the manner of the match vote, uh, Hugo Lloris wasn't even an option, uh, which I was very surprised to see, uh, but was very pleased um, with some individual performances here or there. But for the most part, it looked like a team that basically threw six players that haven't trained with the team since May. And that's what it was. Um, the players that did well in the preseason, like Lucas, um, did uh, hold their spot. But aside from that, it was just wholesale what our first team would have been last year um, with a little bit of rotation. I think uh, Trippier didn't start. Uh, Alderweireld on the bench. And that's a whole thing that I'm sure we'll address on a future show. Um, but all in all, I, I was I was relatively pleased uh we didn't blow away expectations. I think we matched expectations. It was a random assembly of players that hadn't played together in a long time, save for the England ones. Um, and we got three points. And I'm, I'm perfectly willing to take that while also admitting uh, that Newcastle were probably more consistent and probably deserved more in that match as well. Uh, I think the one big issue for Newcastle, and Jake, we talked about this a week before our match, is that you didn't start Rondon. And I know... Joselu does get a little bit more hate than he deserves, but Rondo caused problems basically from the second he stepped on the pitch. Um, and he has done that against us for years when he was at West Brom. 
Um, so maybe that would have changed things a little bit in your favor. I think as soon as we brought on Dembele, it really settled our midfield down because you started to really run through us there. Um, but all in all, like I said, three points to start the season. Absolutely take that. Hopefully players will settle in a little bit better. Kane was playing a lot of short balls. We would pass the ball up to him and he'd lay it off to people. But other than that, he was not very involved. Um, and I'm worried that he's still dealing with potentially his ankle injury from last season uh, that he never really recovered from before he came back for that Chelsea match and for the run-in. Um, and then at the World Cup, obviously, he scored a lot of goals, but he didn't really look at his best either. And at the time, I wasn't really sure if that was kind of structural, the way a lot of individual stars for their club teams didn't play at their best um, for England. But now I'm starting to, to wonder if there's still something going on with him health-wise. Hopefully there's not, but worth keeping an eye on nonetheless. All right, uh, Jim, obviously uh, another big match to start the season. Um, again, not winning it, but positive signs. Yeah, the fixture gods have not been kind to Leicester City. Um, almost, I guess it's, yeah, since we won the Premier League, we've had three uh, three opening games since then and three defeats um, all to um, to top, top six teams. Uh, I don't think... We played especially well, but I think we'll come out of the Manchester United defeat with probably a decent amount of credit. Um, there's issues around kind of integrating new players, and I guess there will be for every team. Um, I just think that potentially we were a bit too um, naive early doors. The, the Daniel Amati handball is a stupid mistake that he did, really didn't need to to kind of concede, and that obviously gives. Manchester United, a, a, a emphatically early lead. Um, Pogba gets them in front inside, I think it was inside three minutes, which just puts a downer on the whole performance potentially. But I'm pretty proud of the way that we kind of came back um, and showed a little bit of fight and created quite a few really decent chances. Um, Nick Madison looked really lively. And obviously he's a player that I'm really looking forward to watching a lot of, more of this year. Comes from the Championship, signing from Norwich for big money for, well, in Leicester standards, kind of mid-20, I think it was 23, 24 million. So obviously a lot of expectation on his shoulders. He's taken the number 10 shirt from Andy King, which obviously is a huge thing. Andy King's been <laughs> with Leicester since, you know, forever. Um, I think he signed as, a, as an academy prospect when he was kind of 12 or 13. So to to take the number 10 shirt off Andy King, who's probably unlikely to be in the 25-man squad um, for the Premier League now, means, you know, a whole heap for from a Leicester fan perspective. Um, he looks good. Damari Gray is starting to produce, which is something we've been waiting on for what seems like forever. Um, he's so good in flashes and maybe the Riyad Mahrez transfer to Manchester City will afford him more playing time, more opportunities on either wing because he can switch at will and kind of, he has that scary pace and and that trickery that can really cause problems. So we created a few chances and then Manchester United go ahead kind of early doors and then follow that up after we've missed a few really, really presentable chances uh, throughout the game. They go ahead through Luke Shaw again and he kind of, puts the nail in the coffin I guess like it would have been understandable for the the, the energy to go out of Leicester at that point um, but we did get a goal back in the end Jamie Vardy who didn't start and that's another key kind of point to make that they haven't had a huge amount of rest and recovery time um, only really started training earlier on in the week that we record uh, which is the Monday um, so they only really had what maybe five days four days training I guess because we played Friday night so it, you know, you would hope and expect that 
that team settles a little bit more. We've got a couple of new arrivals at centre-back who could potentially be rivaling uh, Wes Morgan for a centre-back spot alongside Harry Maguire, which is an interesting dynamic given that Wes is team captain. Whether or not Puel will move Wes out of the starting eleven based on these new signings that are coming in, you'd have to expect so given the money that we've paid for them. I hope there's some element of competition there to the point where it's not just a rigged game uh, for these guys to come in and bench warm behind uh, Morgan and Maguire. Um, obviously, holding on to, to Harry Maguire is a huge thing, subject to a couple of bids from Manchester United, if the press is to be believed, whether or not that was actually ever really serious interest or whether they were just trying to, you know, rustle up a few um, opportunities elsewhere. We'll never know. But I think we played relatively well, again, similar to what Jake said, really, relatively well without getting the reward that we necessarily deserved. The real test of this will be how those players integrate into a system that now play Wolves and uh, Southampton in the next two games before we play Liverpool at home in in a few weeks' time. Um, I think that's just before the international break. So this period of three games will really, you know, will define how we start this year because the two of those you'd certainly expect to come away with something from. The Liverpool game at home will probably be a bit of a free hit given what we've seen today. Um, I'm not sure we can go into that expecting too much if Liverpool are continually producing um, at the level that did against West Ham today. But certainly games against Wolves at home and Southampton away, you would expect positive results from. And let's not forget that Puel came very close to being sacked last year. And yes, he's been back to the transfer market. He's got Ricardo Pereira coming in at right back, which signals the end of Danny Simpson's Leicester career, you'd think. Um, And he's obviously been backed in the transfer market. He's brought in a new assistant. However, there is this niggling feeling that he's only really a couple of bad results away from being sacked based on how close every top flight manager seems to be um, but Puel more than others, given that the fans were really on his back at the end of the last season. And unless we really start to produce quickly, that expectation level is going to weigh down on him as it did towards the back end of last season. And it would not surprise me to see the fans get on his back a little bit if we failed to produce the kind of performances that we're expecting. But Friday was an encouraging start. Jamie Vardy gets his customary goal against a top six team. His record against those teams is incredible. I think it's just testament to how good he is on the counter-attack um, and his pace and power that can really bother teams that are defending with a high line because of this new style, especially when the big team is at home and Leicester are away. Like he seems to revel in that atmosphere of being the underdog um, and getting at more established players. The question now is how we take that into a tricky game against Wolves and, I guess, a potentially tricky game against Southampton. If you don't take anything from those first two games, the pressure is really on and you know you don't want to go into that Liverpool game not really having got three points on the board by that point. Yeah, all excellent points uh, regarding Leicester. And I, I should have mentioned them, uh, and maybe you should have as well, when we were talking about teams that had very good summers. Because I think people forgot how long ago you signed Ricardo Pereira, who's a very good right back. James Madison uh, somehow flew under the radar in the championship last year um, with the likes of Hota and Sessegnon getting like all of the praise. Um, but th- th- those are some good uh, signings as well. So I, I agree. I think that, that things are going to turn around soon. Um, but yeah, I did hear that... Uh, Somebody claimed that um, Puel only has two or three matches to save his job. Is it really that on the knife edge? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. First of all, I think I said Nick Madison, not James Madison. So apologies to to the uh, the James Madison fans out there. Um, but to go back to your point about Puel, there's, there's, there always seems to be a transfer or a, a kind of managerial sacking story around in the press. Now, I don't know where they're coming from, but they keep rearing their heads. Whether or not 
you know, so, somebody really seems to have an agenda for him if it's not true, because they come around so often, Kev, as, as you've said, you know, there was a story on the back page of one of the main tabloids today, two of them, actually, I think, um, in the UK on Sunday that said he's got two games to save his job. Um which, considering he's been backed in the transfer market, he's made changes in the backroom staff, and Leicester owners had, you know, would with would have been quite within their rights, I believe, to get rid of him after the dismal end to the season that we had, um, relatively speaking, um, given that I think we won one out of the last seven or eight games in the Premier League, which obviously does it does not um, engender you to the the kind of um, the the hierarchy. It does seem that he's always walking that tightrope, and the the fact that the stories keep appearing with such regularity, even after one average performance, makes me think that there is something in it. Potentially, it would just be a very odd decision because normally, while yes, we've gone through a lot of managerial changes, the owners haven't really been knee jerk about it in such a way as maybe other clubs have been. Like. The Ranieri situation is an odd one because he won as the Premier League. So how much rope do you give him? But I think everyone around the club wholeheartedly believed that based on the performances up until that sacking, we were probably going to get relegated. And that's obviously, you know, the worst case scenario for the, the King Power ownership. Likewise with Craig Shakespeare, once I think he'd lost the dressing room, and you could say this is a common factor throughout those managerial tenures, it's the dressing room that tends to be the problem. And although there's no rumours at the moment of kind of dressing room unrest, there's been a lot of turnover in players. So potentially that's safeguarded Puel's position a little bit more. But it would be, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him given an early exit. He was favourite in the the managerial sack race market with the bookmakers this year. And I think that's always going to be kind of hovering around and following around, even if we start doing well, because... I think the general feeling is he's always a couple of games away from the sack, which must be a weird position to be in, especially after you've spent, you know, 70, 80 million pounds in the transfer market as well. Yeah, it does certainly seem strange. And if somebody does have it out for him, that would explain it a little bit more. But maybe it is, as you say, dressing room unrest that's kind of leaking out, whether it be through agents or themselves somehow. Um, All right, now we're going to head into... Uh, player watch we're just going to quickly mention uh, the players that we were most impressed by in our own sides this weekend obviously we'll lead in with you Jake yeah I spoke about him earlier but I think Kennedy really impressed me uh, with the way you know he's dribbling and the way he could carry the ball Um, we've really lacked somebody like that for a long time Uh, and in games the way Newcastle play we, we, we tried to set up you know quite defensive and try to contain the other team and then counter and you know if you're going to do that effectively you need a player like Kennedy somebody that can carry the ball long distances and he showed he could do that against Tottenham against you know one of the better defensive units so if he's like that against Tottenham hopefully he can cause havoc against a lot of the, the teams in and around us so that'll be interesting to see how he goes there um, especially you know with you got Shelby you know playing the balls in uh, from midfield and those two could really you know strike up relationships I'm hoping that does go this season um another player that impressed me was probably matt ritchie i thought he was he had an excellent game uh, and i've never seen a player so furious to be substituted <laughs> seriously <laughs> he enough. was very oh, mad angry wasn't he he was uh, livid and you know you, you kind of like to see that from your players uh maybe he went a little bit overboard but you kind of like to see a player that wants to be on the pitch and i i, I sort of understood his reaction as well because it he was getting into loads of space and our defense was starting to break down 
Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, he was sort of one of the ones causing problems. I think Christian actually didn't do a lot after coming on. So in hindsight, it's probably a, a bad substitution. But I thought he played really well, and there's a lot of rumours linking him with a move back to the championship during the summer, which I think would have been stupid because he's come on a lot, and I think he's just got such good delivery, and he rarely gives the ball away. He's just so reliable. He doesn't have a lot of pace. He's not going to be as dynamic as, as Kennedy on the other side. But you know, you don't always need a player to be like that. He's he's, he's just so consistent, and you know, he's going to get another seven or eight assists this season he's just that good and, and, and the ball he put in uh, for the first goal was just on the money he gave Jocelyn no chance of missing it's Jocelyn often, often misses chances that he shouldn't and he had no chance of missing that one so you know he played really well and I think it was our two wingers I think that if, if we give if they both stay fit and stay in the team I think both of them will do really well this season so those two were the ones that stood out for me it's yeah, it's difficult to pinpoint one player, I guess, from the, the Leicester team because the performance was kind of above average, but without excelling too much. Um, the player that impressed maybe the most, probably he got substituted fairly early, but James Madison did look really lively. And in that number ten role, I think he offers us something as a Leicester team that we probably haven't had for a little while. Um, we haven't had an established number ten really lay their, their hat on, you know, on, onto that spot and say, this is mine. I'm claiming it week in, week out. And because of that, we've always tended to kind of rotate our midfields set up around a little bit. But now with this 4-2-3-1 being the way that Puel's going to set this side up, I think, kind of week in, week out, it gives you the ability to deploy Adrian Silva a little bit deeper um, alongside Wilfred and Diddy, which I think will help give the attacking players a bit more freedom. And that's probably something Madison will really thrive from because he was able to get into that pocket of space um, in between the, the Manchester United defence and midfield and kind of make things happen, whether that be shots from distance um, or laying, laying passes off for Pereira and, and Gray, who were deployed on the wings. Um, he comes, as, as Kev said, he, he seems to be a little bit overlooked as one of the championship's hot prospects. Um, based on on what he did at Norwich um, last season, and since I guess since he since he broke into the first team, um, he obviously comes with a big reputation and a relatively big price tag for a player that isn't proven at the very top level. Um, but Puel's obviously, or the recruitment age, you know, the recruitment side of Leicester City have obviously seen something in him that they feel will be enough to justify not only paying that money for him, but dropping him straight into that spot. And he, he just seems the type of player that a little bit like we used to have with Maris, the kind of player that will get you off your seat. Now, I'm not expecting him to go double-double in terms of assists and goals every season like Maris was seemingly able to do at will. He's got big shoes to fill in that role. But if he can really make that number 10 spot his own, with Vardy and Iheanacho being attacking options, he should have plenty of space um, playing as the kind of second striker and pushing forward into that, from attacking midfield. So I think he's the player that probably gave us a little glimpse of what we could expect. And hopefully, as the side becomes more settled, he is probably the player that will um, kind of shine the most and, and has the most opportunity to, to shine on that big stage. And yeah, it, it's exciting to have a player like that come into your side, I think, because you you instantaneously kind of feel excited about their prospects when you see them on the team sheet. And I think if you can get himself a goal or an assist early, you know, he'll really become a potential superstar in, in the way that we line up because it seems tailor-made um, to, to kind of be built around him from an attacking sense. 
Yeah, and I think that that will make Leicester one of the most interesting sides to watch this year, as they have been ever since they won the title. And I suppose the year that they did win the title, that would have been an exciting time to watch them as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But there's really interesting things. And I think something that people are forgetting about is your rapid youth uh, movement, where like everybody talked about when City went from an aging squad to like an uh, immediately young one. And that's kind of happened at Leicester over the last year or so. So it'll be interesting to see how a lot of those uh, younger players do grow and develop uh, together at Leicester. Um, for Tottenham, uh, like I said, I was not crazy impressed by Deli Ali. I just thought he had a pretty good match. Um, so I'm going to go with Hugo Lloris, even though that uh, effort I mentioned earlier was uh, the biggest save there. He, he prevented a couple of opportunities as well. He came out early. Was that Kennedy, Jake, if you recall what I'm talking about, where he like Hugo had to rush out to, to close down the chance? Yeah, that massive gap, uh, the massive yeah. touch that he had. Yeah, that was yeah. Kennedy. Um, so yeah, he, he was just very, very sharp and you'd expect, uh, him to be sharp, you know, having just lifted a world cup trophy and all that. Uh, but I was most impressed by him. If I had to go like hockey style, I'd probably go, uh, Hugo Lloris, Deli Ali, Jan Vertonghen. Um, but, but Hugo's the one that takes it from me. Uh, and we will just wrap up with quick previews of our coming matches. Uh, Jake, uh, just fortunately, you're up first both chronologically and uh, show order-wise because you're going to start things off against Cardiff next weekend. Yeah, this is a difficult one. It's probably not a game I want this early in the season. Uh, we had it last year of Huddersfield, you know, their first game in the Premier League. Uh, I know Cardiff have been here before, but it's a similar sort of occasion, first home game. And we've been put on telly in the hope that we lose this game. They, they, they the Sky are definitely hoping for a Cardiff win. That's what they're, they're building for. Um I think Cardiff are probably going to go down. I don't think their squad's that good, but I think Neil Warnock can get his players up for for games, and I think they will be. They're, they're not going to get beaten heavily in many matches. I don't think. I think they're going to be more than competitive and, and quite horrible to play against in sort of niggly fouls and things like that. So I think it's going to be a difficult one. Um, if it was a bit later in the season, I'd be really confident of getting a win. Um, but at this stage, I just think Cardiff's going to be really up for this, and it's going to be difficult for whoever was going to go there in the opening de- in their opening game. So I'm going to go with a draw. Uh, it would be a disappointing if we did get a draw, but I just I just think the occasion might be a bit too much, uh, and Cardiff's going to be so up for it that you know look, maybe a draw might be a good result. So yeah, I'll go I'll go with a draw. All right, and then next up again, conveniently, Jim uh, Lester versus Wolverhampton. We've talked about both of them uh, at length today. Are you feeling confident heading into that one? I, it's difficult to be confident, I think, against Wolves because they're kind of still an unknown quantity. Um, Obviously, they were so impressive in the championship. I really don't want to read too much into that 2-2 draw with Everton because I've got a feeling that they are going to gradually improve maybe for the first four or five weeks up until that international break as that squad gets to know each other. Obviously, they've had a huge amount of player turnover and I think it would be dangerous to expect the level of performance they put in above against Everton, which is probably a little bit below what people were thinking it would be, um, to continue throughout that. And I think we... Leicester's first home game, obviously, of every season is always is always a great occasion. It's a little bit of a banana skin because people are going to expect you to win the game because you're at home, you're going to be favourites and because we're the established Premier League team against the newcomers. But because they're potentially the best of those newcomers, I think it's it's a difficult, not that it's a lose-lose situation, but if you win, I don't think you'll raise too many eyebrows unless you do it in such emphatic um, style as, as maybe Liverpool did against West Ham today. People will sit up and take notice um, because of how emphatic that scoreline was. However... 
anything but a win is really going to count against you, especially when you've lost the first game. Um, and, you know, while people will say, oh, the Manchester United game is a free hit. Yes, it is a free hit. But if you haven't got any points on the board after two games, going into a difficult, another tricky game against Southampton away, then, you, you know, you are really in danger of being, um, you know, uh, you know, I've seen maybe a bit of a backlash from fans and uh, talks about Puel and the, the potential pressures building on him. So I'm a little bit nervous about this game because I, I do feel like we're on a bit of a hiding to nothing unless it's a really impressive victory. And I'm wary of what Wolves have got in their locker. Ruben Neves is an exceptional player and I just hope that he isn't quite as good against us as he was against Everton because we'll struggle to contain him given how dynamic he is. And if that squad improves for another week of training... We're going to be in a real battle. So I can see it being a draw. And I think, not that I'd take a draw, but I think I'd be satisfied if you told me we were going to leave that game with a point just to get the, the total up and running um, and maybe build some momentum going into the, the Southampton game as well. Yeah, and uh, for Tottenham, we're kind of in a similar situation where we're playing Fulham. Obviously, they did not pick up a point in their, their first match, but another promoted side signed a lot of players waiting to see how some of them do. It'll be really interesting to watch um, how Ryan Sessegnon does because, and I can say this now that it didn't happen, um, I was informed that we had already agreed everything with Sessegnon uh, to come to Tottenham if Fulham were not promoted. But then they were, rendering both my ability to verify that information and it actually happening moot. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if he shows up in a big way against a team that he allegedly um, had already signed for, basically pending uh, that result in the championship final. Uh, Mitrovic is exactly the kind of forward that'll give us issues, much as I mentioned earlier uh, with Rondon um, in the Newcastle match. So I'm, I'm not super confident heading into this one. Uh, I would imagine that Dembele would be starting this week. Uh, I think Sissoko got the nod both because he had been in preseason longer and because Pochettino loves playing players against their former teams and or leagues. Um, so hopefully Dembele would be back. He, again, I thought he looked very good when he came on. The The interesting thing team selection-wise will be if uh, Toby Alderweireld is included uh, because obviously there has been long-standing issues between himself and Pochettino. Um basically tried to force a contract early. He All he was asking for was 150000 a week, which really isn't that crazy considering his position in the market. Um, he saw what Van Dyke got paid and thought I deserved to get paid like that. Uh, the issue is that he did it about six months too early because now that we've broken our wage structure to give, get Kane all the way up to two hundred, all of a sudden Toby at one hundred and fifty doesn't seem crazy, but the, he really caused some internal strife um, the way that he handled things early. But Pochettino... Uh, recently said, according to some uh, local journalists there, that he's forgiving everything that's happened in the past, and if you're still at the club, we need you to buckle down, which is exactly what a manager would say, having been given zero signings in the summer, um, because you have to get the most out of whoever's left in the room. Um, So if he is reintegrated into the squad, that will obviously be a huge boost, as he is one of the best, if not the best, center backs in the Premier League. Um, So that is a situation to watch ongoing. As for the actual physical match, I would expect us to win, um, but you know what expectations get you. Uh, but all in all, I think we match up well against them. Um, well, <laughs> against what I think will be their starting eleven, which could be an entirely different starting eleven based on all the players they signed on deadline day. Um, but all in all, I, I think we'll have the better of the two sides. I wasn't really impressed um, by Sherla and the Palace match, who was who I was really trying to keep an eye on in that one. Um, the goalkeeper Fabre, you mentioned earlier. Uh, 
Jake that he might not be in that job too much longer. And that would not surprise me based on uh, how quickly he was coming out on some of those uh, balls the way he did on the Zaha goal. Uh, he was just charging out of there like a crazy person. And if he does that against, you know, Kane and Delhi and Erickson and the like, uh, he could find himself in a lot of trouble. Uh, but all in all, I, I think Tottenham will win. Um, we are really struggling for clean sheets and have been for about the last 12-ish months. So uh, I'll say we win 2-1 again. All right, and that'll do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell the folks uh, where they could find you or any cool projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's and I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. You can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight eighty eight. I'm the uh, head of content marketing for a company called Perform, which includes a lot of uh, football sites like Goal dot com and Soccerway. So if you're interested in uh, betting on football or kind of the uh, previews around that, then um, I'm mostly responsible for the output on those particular uh, feeds. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings over at the aforementioned goal. Um, you can also find me on the FPL Roundtable, which you can find on this very channel. I also do some stuff for Omnisport. And uh, also check out the Championship Show, which is on this very channel, which uh, is a very, very good show for those interested in the Championship and very interesting listening, even if you're not. So be sure to give that a listen as well. All right, thanks to you guys so much for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.